The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 10 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are talking about Avengers number 9 and the coming of the Wonder Man. This issue comes to us in October of 1964. It's written by Stan Lee, pencils by Don Heck, who is a newcomer to our book, inks by Dick Ayers, and letters by Art Simic. So as I've mentioned, I'm kind of excited about this issue because this is Don Heck's first appearance. And I will admit that I was slightly kind of incorrect when I said that we're not going to see Jack Kirby on the Avengers again. If you look a little bit further into the future, Kirby is going to come back for issues 14, 15, and 16. But instead of doing the pencils, he's just going to be doing the layouts. And when we get to those issues, I'll talk more about exactly what Jack's responsibilities are when it comes to layouts. But know that it'll still be Don Hex art with Jack Kirby layouts. So I think without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this week's issue. Starting with the cover here, I like the cover. I have to say, I don't like the fact that Wasp is so small on the cover, and I'm somewhat disturbed by the massive size of Giant Man's head. And I don't mean like it's bigger than everyone else's, even though it is bigger than everyone else's. It's the fact that it's kind of not proportional. Like he looks like one of those superheroes that's got the, you know, the oversized brain. His head is just, it looks physically swollen up top. It's just not quite right. And unfortunately, in certain places, that's actually going to be kind of emblematic of the art in this issue. Outside of our cover, we had a really great opening splash page of Captain America leading the fight against Baron Zemo. Only it turns out Cap is seeing things. As Thor reminds Cap, the Masters of Evil are stuck in a space warp that can lead to a different city or a different universe, which is basically the exact same line that Thor delivered in the end of issue 7. After Thor gives us our quick reminder, we immediately cut to the Masters of Evil themselves, who are still stuck in the space warp, but not for long, because Enchantress uses what power she has left to free them from the space warp and return them to Zemo's secret base. I gotta say, I really like the kind of psychedelic look that Don Heck is going to bring to Enchantress. We'll see it again later on, but she kind of does these dances. Instead of kind of some mumbo-jumbo nonsense incantation, she just says, oh, this is what I'm going to do, and then we see her physically doing it. And I really like that added physicality, because comics being the visual medium that they are, it really helps to kind of immerse the reader, and instead of just saying, oh, this is what I'm doing, it gives her something physically to do. These more over-the-top motions really play better to the medium. I've also noticed that Zemo's minions have been kind of busy, because if you remember the end of issue 7, Zemo's palace was basically destroyed, and now we come and find this massive stone structure that is now Zemo's base with a bunch of technology in it. So, you know, his guys have been busy while he's gone. I guess it's kind of a perk for having your own empire. They just, you know, you can leave them with instructions. Okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. Here's the new blueprints. Here's all the new equipment. When I get home, it better be together. 
We also start to see some friction beginning between our Masters of Evil. Enchantress has to remind Executioner that they still have a use for Zemo because they're new to Midgar and to Earth and they need someone who's more acquainted with how things work there. Meanwhile, Zemo is really offended that this is all they think of him as being good for. Right, Zemo's a super scientist, he was a high-ranking Nazi. Zemo thinks of himself as very important, and he demands to be treated as such. And of course, because he's had a little bit of free time stuck in the space warp, Zemo has a new plan. And I like the fact that this takes a couple of weeks, it says. It's not just instant gratification. It makes it feel like Zemo's not just winging it. He has a plan and he needs the right time, the right people involved in order to make this work. And he's got to go look for them. Zemo is able to find the right person in Mr. Simon Williams. So Mr. Williams is, once again, another businessman and a somewhat rival of Tony Stark's. Unfortunately for Williams, Stark's inventions basically made his company worthless. So in order to keep himself from bankruptcy, Williams embezzled money from his company and was caught. Uh, not specifically by Iron Man or Tony Stark, but just caught in general. But of course, because of Stark's patents, Williams blames Stark for his downfall and for the crimes he committed. So Enchantress goes, bails out Mr. Williams, and offers him a chance of a lifetime. And they proceed to take him to South America to, as we'll see, Zemo's laboratory. However, before that, we'll get a brief discussion of what the Avengers are up to. Iron Man is once again off working on some Stark invention. Cap is brooding, pining really, for Bucky. Wasp is bored while Ant-Man works. And Thor turns back into Donald Blake and he says, I'd better return to my office quickly. There may be patients waiting. And this kind of explains why every time I go to the doctor's office, I wait for two hours. I mean, I'd like to think my doctor's Thor. Probably not, and he's probably just running really behind every time. You know, but a man can dream. And so far, of the characters we've seen Don Heck draw, I have to say that Iron Man is probably my favorite that he's done. And I mean, we're only a couple pages in here, but he adds a little bit more of a suit look to Iron Man. So when we went from, you know, the gold Avenger to the, the Mark II armor, I always kind of felt like it looked more like... It was a tights and a mask kind of costume for Iron Man. And certainly there is still some of that, but I think the chest piece and the gloves and whatnot of Iron Man now really make it look more like a suit of armor as opposed to just something he kind of slipped on. On the opposite side of that, we have the fact that most of the women that Don Heck is portraying are not quite proportional. Really what it amounts to is they're just impossibly thin. Exceptionally small ways to the point where in certain cases it does not look right. Uh, Wasps isn't bad. Enchantress will be worse later in this issue. And down the road, Scarlet Witch has some really questionable looks from Don Heck. Getting back to the story, we find Zemo and the rest of the Masters back in South America, and Simon Williams is laid out on a table under some kind of device, and he is undergoing Zemo's experiment to make him into a superhero, or realistically in this case, supervillain, but he's giving Williams a rather impressive set of powers. There's a little bit of disconnect here between what we see in the art and what we read in the dialogue. Executioner talks about seeing Williams grow larger, and I don't really see that as what he's looking at. It, it's much more, honestly, it looks like he's rapidly aging, almost like Zemo is taking him to the brink of death and bringing him back, rebuilding him. But of course, shortly, Zemo has completed his experimentation, Williams is still alive, and we actually demonstrate some of his abilities. 
Enchantress specifically mentions his invincibility, and I don't know if this is meant as a demonstration in this scene, or if this is just some some further part of Zemo's device of the transformation, but he's got a device strapped to Williams' chest that looks like it has five circular saw blades on it, like he's using that to verify he's invincible. I don't know, that just seems like a somewhat questionable way to verify something like that. Five circular saw blades on someone's chest, that would do some damage. I figured you want to check invincibility on like an arm or like a foot or like a, even like a finger, you know, start small and build your way up really. Of course, like I mentioned before, there is some friction going on between the Masters of Evil. So Executioner doesn't fully believe Zemo when he says Williams is invulnerable. So he pulls out a pistol and attempts to shoot Williams. Now to me, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. One, where did Executioner get the pistol? And two, it doesn't really seem like an Executioner kind of thing to use. He's an Asgardian. Why would he use a really basic Earth weapon? I realize he doesn't have his ceremonial axe anymore, but I feel like he, he should use something other than a common criminal type of revolver. So up until this point, Simon Williams has been in his underwear, and before he proceeds with the test, he asks Zemo, hey, can I have some clothes, please? Because, you know, clothing. But Zemo says, I've already provided for that. But you shall not wear ordinary vestments. You shall be garbed in a costume. Like, Zemo is super excited to give him this costume. And at this point, he dubs Williams Wonder Man. Williams is kind of perplexed. He says, but why the costume? Why the corny name? And of course, at this point, Zemo reveals his master plan, which is that he will infiltrate Wonder Man into the Avengers in order to destroy them. But before Wonder Man can infiltrate the Avengers, he obviously has to demonstrate that he can fight and be one of the Avengers. So we get a really great page of Wonder Man showing off his new powers. It's only four panels, and I really like that fact because we're not spending a whole lot of time doing a giant powers montage. We hit the necessary material, and then we move forward. And in fact, the last panel is probably one of my favorites, certainly of this issue. And we see Wonder Man fighting the Executioner. And we actually get three parts of the same fight within the panel. I love it because it's got a great sense of motion and it's a really interesting way to show what's going on. Normally this would be three separate panels, but instead we get one combined panel and it allows the, the reader to just flow through the panel and still have a good understanding of what just happened. So with Wonder Man's trials completed, the Masters of Evil set off for New York to set their plan in motion, and they do so with a bank robbery. Which, let's face it, it's a classic, but for a group called the Masters of Evil, and given their membership and what their members certainly think of themselves, it seems a little bit low class for them. You know, like, bank robbing is kind of a, a high-end petty crook thing. You know, the Masters of Evil, that's like earth-conquering kind of villainy, and robbing a bank is just a little lowbrow for them, I think. So as much as we're getting some really good art in this, we're also having some really, really rough art. And the bottom of this page at the start of the fight between the Avengers and the Masters of Evil in the bank is really bad. In the foreground, you have Executioner fighting Iron Man. Iron Man's position bugs me a little bit, but there's something wrong about the proportions of Executioner. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it just looks off. Executioner's fist is in front of Enchantress, so you get only part of her body. You, know, you get from about the bust up and thigh to shin level. And then Giant Man is almost entirely off panel. All you get is his legs. And Cap is in some very, very 
weird distorted twist that doesn't really work from the position he was in prior to or even just a general standing or human position it's just, it's a very awkward body positioning a panel like this would be a really great opportunity for someone like Jack Kirby and Don Heck just there's enough wrong with it that I just kind of go uh it's it's not at all what I'm looking for but, as planned, Wonder Man makes an appearance and is quickly able to defeat the Masters of Evil because, obviously, they want him to, to help ingratiate him with the Avengers. And almost immediately, the Avengers welcome him in, with the exception of Captain America. When the bank manager goes to thank Thor, he talks about already having their reward because they found a new Avenger. You met this guy like four panels ago. The only thing he's told you is he's from South America, and you haven't even taken a chance to verify that, let alone anything else about the man that he has not yet told you. The team is just very excited to bring in a new member and seems to be skipping a little of the fact-checking here. Now, I've got issues with this page for a lot of reasons. First off, the nine-panel grid is not really working for these guys. You know, we go from the bank to Zemo's hideout somewhere in New York that we didn't know about, to Avengers Mansion, then back to Zemo. Like, we're all over the place. The center panel is just shot from a terrible... For a number of the art descriptions here, I'm going to end up using film and camera uh, phrasing because conceptually, I don't think any of the scenes that Don Heck is going for here are wrong or bad. I think the, for lack of a better term, the positioning of the camera is lacking. And if it were moved or changed a little bit... I think without moving or changing the people in the panel, it would look significantly better. And the center panel is, is a prime example where Executioner's hand is in the middle of the panel. It's the focal point of the panel and really of the page because it's the center panel on a nine panel grid. And it's partially obscuring his face. You know, his face is kind of up and towards the corner. I would much rather see Executioner's face towards the center of the panel, bring his hand lower. You're cutting off a significant portion of his face and head. Instead, cut off part of his hand. I don't need to see his hand. And, you know, it's a really well-drawn hand. It looks great. But I just don't have any good reason to care about his hand while he's talking. It's a talking head panel when part of the talking head is cut off. It's also rough from a storytelling perspective. We're jumping all over the place. We have Zemo and Executioner reacting to something that they're watching, but we haven't established the fact that they're watching the Avengers until the last panel. It's a fairly safe assumption that's what they're doing, but they're reacting to something like we already know exactly what they're doing, and we don't. Now, like I mentioned, most of the Avengers are really happy to have Wonder Man join the team, but because Wonder Man mentioned that he was experimented on by Zemo, Cap trusts him even less than he did to start. And it takes a spell by Enchantress, and again, we get this nice fluid kind of dance look motion while she's casting her spell, but it takes a spell by Enchantress to convince Cap that Wonder Man is actually on their side. And as many problems as I had with the page prior, I absolutely love the bottom of this page. The, the curved panels are really fantastic. Everything we need to see is perfectly in frame. I even like the corner cutout panel that's kind of cutting off the Team Brigade because I don't need more pictures of the Team Brigade coming down the stairs. It's placed perfectly. It overlaps with the panel prior to, but in such a way that the important stuff is still in panel. I mean, just everything about those bottom five panels is amazing. 
I would love to have seen the top third of that page actually somehow on the page before and to have seen that as a full page. That would have been a really cool page. And again, this is some of the things I'm really enjoying about Don Heck. You know, Jack Kirby is an amazing artist and a fantastic sequential storyteller. But at least at this point in his career, he doesn't do the unique and interesting layouts like this. And I really am enjoying that already about Don Heck. Now, at this point, we get a little bit of a jump in the story, and we're now a couple days in the future. Wonder Man has returned to Zemo's hideout in South America, and he's brought Wasp along with him for reasons that aren't really explained, and Zemo takes her captive. At this point, Wonder Man gets on the radio, contacts the Avengers, and pretends like he has been recaptured by Zemo, when, of course, at this point, we know he is still in Zemo's employ, and implores the Avengers to come save himself and save Wasp. And so, as quickly as possible, the Avengers do. Iron Man, however, gets out kind of ahead a little bit, and... I've got to admit, the Avengers have been working together as a team a lot better than they have been, but the fact that Iron Man goes out on his own and doesn't wait for the rest of the team still underscores the inherent lack of team unity amongst these original Avengers, at least at this point. So Iron Man shows up in the cave where Zemo is holding Wasp and, in theory, Wonder Man, and he's immediately yanked off-panel to a giant magnet And I'm starting to wonder if all Marvel supervillains shop at the same store? Because Iron Man is pulled off panel by this giant horseshoe magnet that is very, very Magneto-esque. I would like to think that somewhere out there in the Marvel Universe, there is like a supervillains depot, kind of like a restaurant depot that's only open to restaurant owners. I mean, just think of like a Sam's Club sized building full of just like supervillain toys, basically. Death rays and robot armies and giant horseshoe magnets, hover cars, spacecraft. Yes! For those of you who don't know me, I may or may not have supervillain leanings. I'm sorry you had to hear that. At any rate, thankfully for Iron Man, he's not alone in this fight for very long as Captain America shows up. And for a moment, it actually looks like Cap's shield decapitates Executioner. In fact, it's just the action lines that Don Heck drew in and where the shield lands kind of just over his shoulder. But for just a moment, I was like, wait, what What just happened? And then Cap swings in the next panel and kicks him. And that's a really great action panel. I don't know where Cap is swinging from or what he's swinging on, but man, does it look good. And with that panel as a lead-in, we go to another just awesome-looking page. As much as this issue's had art problems, Don Heck also has some standout art, and this is among the best in this issue. It's six panels of great, great sequential art. Thor shows up, he gets punched, thrown down into a pit, Wonder Man pushes a boulder over it, as we find out, obviously, this is the point at which Wonder Man turns quote-unquote traitor, and then Wonder Man is seized by Giant Man, and he immediately turns on Giant Man with some amazing acrobatics. If we could have an entire comic like this, I'd be in heaven. This is just amazing, amazing art. Unfortunately, once again, Stan Lee's the writer, so we're a little on the verbose side, and we've got some narration panels that I think somewhat detract from the glory of the art, so to speak. When you get panels like this that are as strong sequentially as this is you don't need anywhere near this much narration Uh, what i'm actually going to do here i'll go ahead and read a panel as written and then read what i think is a an acceptable culling of words while still maintaining the same feel this is the last panel on page 16 i guess the first time i've ever used a page number reference for those of you who don't realize that a lot of these silver age comics actually have page numbers 
uh, down in the corner. So this is the bottom of page 16 and uh, the last narration box. In a split second, Zemo's human creation proves his worth. Moving with almost incalculable speed, the multi-powered Wonder Man swings towards his larger foe, striking him with the force of a bulldozer. And now my version. Moving with almost incalculable speed, Wonder Man swings towards his foe, striking him with the force of a bulldozer. Now, admittedly, it's not a major change, but it's probably, I'm ballparking here about five lines worth of text. That's five more lines worth of space for me to enjoy the art. And in a case like this, I will take those five lines worth of space, even if it's of Giant Man's leg. So following that page, we get another page of various Avengers fighting various masters of evil. And at least at the top of the page, the sequential art breaks down a little bit. But we recover by the bottom of the page. There are several things I would like to see better in this. The Iron Man panel in the middle is somewhat useless. The sequential art in the first four panels between Giant Man and Wonder Man don't flow very well. And then Cap is stunned by something from behind. We don't see what. All we see is these little globular white flashes. And Cap just says, oh, it's Zemo. I would like to see Zemo using the stun ray instead of Cap kind of staggering in the back of Executioner's head. Executioner, by the way, has a massive bald spot. He's got like a Friar Tuck thing going on that I don't think I realized how bad it was up until now. The one thing we do get out of both the last page and this page is that we realize Wonder Man is pretty much a match for any single Avenger in like one-on-one combat, maybe to an extent two-on-one depending on the pairing. And it's only because Wonder Man ends up having a change of heart that the Avengers even stand a chance. Iron Man almost manages to free Thor who is trapped in this pit beneath this boulder. He is stopped just short of freeing Thor by Enchantress casting yet another spell, this time specifically on Iron Man. As I mentioned before, this is where we get that uncomfortably small waist. She doesn't look right. That's really the only way I can describe it. We all know what a normal person's proportions should look like. We even kind of know what a comic book character's proportions look like, as exaggerated as they are. But this is really one of those, obviously it's cartoonish because we're reading a comic book, but it's almost a little disturbing to visualize when you start putting it in terms of what a real person would look like. So with all of the Avengers defeated and now gathered up, Zemo intends to execute all of them. He's a supervillain. This is kind of his deal. And, you know, it's better than you're my prisoner. Let's be honest. How many evil plans have been foiled by keeping your nemesis hostage when you could have just killed them and been done with it? At this point, though, we get a good look into Wonder Man's mind and kind of into his heart. And throughout the issue, we've, we've seen that he's kind of an unwilling participant in a lot of ways. And killing all of the Avengers is a line Wonder Man just isn't willing to cross. And so he goes about freeing the Avengers. First, he goes and removes the boulder from over Thor's pit. While the other Avengers begin to wake up and resume their fight, you know, the Masters of Evil are forced to withdraw because without Wonder Man, who realistically has turned against them, they really don't stand a chance. Zemo created this man and and now he can't control him. And unfortunately, our issue ends on, you know, a bit of a down note here in that Wonder Man dies, right? He needed Zemo to give him this formula to keep him alive. And when he turned on Zemo, he knew it meant his death. And it's touching and it's unfortunate. You know, the Avengers are forced to accept the fact that there is nothing they can do to save this individual whom, yes, he was plotting against them with the Masters of Evil, but they realize, you know, he's a very complicated kind of guy. He's got a lot of things going on. And if they had more time, you know, he could have proven to be a very valuable ally. Now, again, we are modern comic book readers. This is the year 2016, almost 2017. Wonder Man will be back. 
and Wonder Man will play a large part in the Avengers. He will be a founding member of the West Coast Avengers. So this is by far not the last time we have seen Wonder Man, but we're not going to see a whole lot of him for a long time. Overall, I've got some big thoughts on this one. This is the third time we've had a plot, including issues two and seven, where a villain has tried to destroy the Avengers from within. To me, this really says something about the outward unity and strength that the team projects, that they are consistently attacked in this manner. Most of the villains, they try once to just straight up take on the Avengers from outside. When that doesn't work, a lot of times it's moving into taking them on from the inside. This is the second time the Masters of Evil alone have tried it. Obviously, issue number two was the Space Phantom and was able to morph himself into each of the various Avengers and cause the, the team to fight amongst itself. But this tells me that the dynamic that the team portrays outwardly is one of external strength, right? They, they fight something from outside very well, but that they are internally very fragile. The team is not held together very well. The bonds are very loose. I also think this plays into their lack of leadership. The fact that in a lot of ways, a democracy is a very weak form of government because it's of the people. Well, the Avengers are a democratic team. Each of them takes a turn. So our villains who are often you know, strong men or quite honestly, in Zemo's case, a fascist, they try and take advantage of that inherent internal fragility and tear the Avengers apart from inside. We also get something really kind of interesting in, in Wonder Man, and that Wonder Man makes a fairly legitimate Faustian bargain. You know, Wonder Man accepts these amazing powers that Zemo bestows on him. You know, Zemo is a fair approximation for the stand-in of the devil. You know, Wonder Man is not, you know, quite the learned scholar that Faust is, but he takes these powers on, and there is a price to be paid for them. In Faust, it's, it's his soul. And in Williams, in part, it kind of is his soul, but it's his life, right? And he doesn't even realize it at the time. Faust, at least, it's an upfront deal. Here's your powers. This is how long they last. This is what I get in the end. Williams doesn't even know he only has a week to live until after he's gotten the power set. It's this deal with the devil, right? Zemo is this terrible villain, and he offers Williams something that Williams desperately wants and needs, both as a way to get back at Tony Stark through Iron Man, but also the power that Williams has lost in the loss of his business and the loss of his respect and the fact that he is now a criminal. And it really just plays up how much of a complicated kind of person Williams is. You know, we also see that with Williams' unwillingness to kill. There is a line in Williams's head that he doesn't want to cross. And I honestly think it's because he's a good person inside. He's just made a lot of bad choices, right? He's not Zemo. He's not inherently evil. You know, Executioner, to an extent, is inherently evil. Certainly in the Silver Age, the Executioner is inherently evil, and so is Enchantress. Executioner will get much more nuanced in the future, and far more interesting, I think. You know, but they are villains for the sake of being villains. Williams is a villain because of a situation he finds himself in, and bad choices he has made. It's the same thing with his business. He was trying to do the right thing, the business went under because of Tony Stark, and he made a bad choice. To keep himself out of bankruptcy, he took money from the company. Do I think he's a horrible, malicious person for doing so? No. Did he make a bad choice? Absolutely. But in the end, he makes a good choice. He makes the right choice. He sacrifices himself in order to overcome Zemo. Realistically, the only thing Zemo is, has over Wonder Man is the fact that Wonder Man will die if he doesn't get treatment from Zemo. As soon as Wonder Man accepts the fact that he's going to die and he would rather die than kill other people, as soon as that happens, Zemo loses 
all control over Williams. And it's a very cool internal character moment. I really like it. You know, and not to beat a, a dead horse here, but Wonder Man making bad choices. The fact that he's willing to sacrifice his life for the others, not only that make him a better person, it's that idea of redemption. And also, it's the idea what makes a hero. And in this case, what makes Wonder Man go from villain to hero at the end of the story and then gives Wonder Man the ability to be a hero in the future is his willingness to sacrifice. Yeah, we talked about this at length. The art at times really suffers in this issue. And I think what it suffers from most is the layouts. The art itself isn't bad, but the panel breakdown in some places, the sequential art and the camera angle are off. I mean, there are certain scenes I would love to see. If you just move the point of view, the perspective just a little bit, it would just enhance that panel so much more and enhance the overall quality of the book. There are a lot of great panels in this book, and it's really making me look forward to more of Don Heck's art. You know, right now we have Don Heck working in the Jack Kirby style, the Marvel House style, but the further away we get from Jack Kirby and the more of Don Heck's own style we see bleed through, I'm looking forward to that point. And again, it's, it is nothing against Jack Kirby. I have come to have a great, great respect for Jack Kirby's art. But again, one of the really cool things about comics is you can change the artist and change the entire feel and tone of a book. So getting a new artist is not a bad thing. And it's, I think, in general, something to look forward to. There will be exceptions. The 90s are most of those, not going to lie. But comics are a continuously changing and evolving medium. And especially in something like superhero stories that don't actually really ever end. It's great to see that kind of change and evolution to suit the book at the time. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, oh no, the Avengers break up? All right, hey, all right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.